everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rorkraut. And today we have another episode in our Oscar Contender series, talking about two of our acting categories, Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. We're getting close. We're two weeks away, and we'll talk about how this season has been going with all of the acting races, which I'm excited to talk about. For today's episode, we'll be following a similar structure that we've been following for the past episodes in our Oscar Contender series, where we will go through each nominee in each category. Then we will say who our write-in vote would be, who we think should win, and who we think will win. And that's where it's going to get interesting for some of these, because in a much different way to the Oscar ceremonies we've had recently, some of these are still up in the air, which is thrilling, honestly completely up in the air now that we have sag we have bafta we have the critics choice and for some of the categories we've had different winners at every ceremony which i don't think has happened in a while especially not after last year's straight runs Mm -hmm. where every actor won every award which was very easy to predict so along with all of our superlatives we'll be saying what scene we think they'll be broadcasting during the telecast as to their best or most noteworthy scene from that movie. And just a caveat, I think. So when we say who we think should win, we are just sharing who we personally thought gave the best performance. I know that people get super attached to these acting races, and that's fine. I'm glad there's a lot of passion behind them, but I think it's important for listeners to just remember that we're just choosing our favorite. We're not considering in those should win like any additional factors like performance length or screen time, how many previous Oscars or nominations they might have, or if they haven't been recognized before. We're not considering any of those, I would say, kind of strategic factors that come in from studios during the process. We can talk about those, I think, when we get to who will win, but... For our should win, it's just our favorite performance. And in our past episodes, too, we've talked about precursors, so things that people win on the road to the Oscars. And usually for our craft categories, those are guild nominations. With acting, it's a little broader, so we do have the Screen Actors Guild or SAG Awards that count as a precursor for sure, but there are plenty of other awards that actors can win on their way that sometimes signify an Oscar win. However, this year, stats may kind of be out the window just with how weird 2020 has been with the screeners and the elongated season. So we'll be talking about stats some, but you can take those with a grain of salt considering how this year is. So starting off, we'll be talking about Best Supporting Actor. The nominees here are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7 plays Abby Hoffman, who was an activist, a real-life person. That's something that will come up a lot in these categories. He was co-founder mm-hmm. of the Youth International Party and, of course, a member of the Chicago 7. Sasha Baron Cohen, this season, for this particular role, has been nominated for a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Award, and a SAG award, and he actually won a SAG award as part of the SAG ensemble since Trial of Chicago 7, of course, won that (laughs) ensemble award. 
And he's had a pretty big year, too. So he was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars for Borat's subsequent movie film. And he also has a previous Oscar nomination for Original Screenplay for Borat. And then he won the Golden Globe for playing Borat a second time. So he's had a pretty mighty presence this entire season. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that it's for these two roles because he was drawn to playing Abby because he was also this comedic activist, which he was familiar with from Borat. And Mm -hmm. he really brought out in Borat too. In a lot of interviews, he talked about how he was really scared to get Abby's accent wrong and... I think this is where he did a good job where maybe one of his other co-stars did not. (laughs) I think Sasha does a good job in Trial of the Chicago 7. I personally prefer him in Borat, but I understand why if we're thinking campaign-wise and strategically, if you do want to honor Sasha in one of the acting categories, it would be easier to put him in supporting for Trial of the Chicago 7 than lead for Borat. That almost, I cannot even Mm -hmm. imagine them trying to make a push like that, (laughs) even though he was successful at the Globes. But I think I'm curious, like, what do you think? So earlier in the season, like pretty early on, Netflix announced that they would be campaigning the entire Chicago 7 ensemble in supporting. They weren't Mm -hmm. running anyone in lead. And I know we maybe thought like, they could try to put Sasha in lead or something like that. But why do you think Sasha got nominated instead of his co-stars? And why do you think he was maybe the only one? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before in the way that I'm happy there weren't multiple trial nominations. And there are other characters that have rousing moments like Eddie Redmayne when he's speaking during the rally. And then Mark Rylance when he's in court and being charged with numerous counts of contempt of court. But I think Sasha has the most charisma in the movie. And he has a really big scene where he's on the stand and defending Tom Hayden and what he had said previously. And when I think back to trial, I can think of some of Sasha's lines more specifically than some of the other characters. I mean, I remember Jeremy Strong, but for a totally different reason. (laughs) Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh my god, I totally forgot Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it. (laughs) Completely forgot about that. And then Frank Langella, of course. But how did you see Sasha compared to the rest of the team here? I think you're right about Sasha being the most charismatic of the cast. In addition to that, I think what you touched on earlier about what Sasha said in interviews about how he was drawn to... Abby Hoffman's comedic skills. I think that that paired with Sorkin's writing style worked in his favor here as being a performance that's easy for voting bodies to recognize and to latch on to. For me, like Rylance and Langella definitely stand out when I think about the movie. But I think in a year, and we'll get to a double nominee from a certain movie very soon, but... I think early in the season, I would have predicted maybe that we would have two nominees here, but Sasha does, I think, make sense as the lone nominee from a campaign perspective. He's had such a big year when you lump in Borat and when you lump Mm -hmm. in what's been going on politically in 2020, I think it makes sense to reward him in that way. I agree. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? 
So you alluded to this before, but I would pick the scene where he's on the stand. I feel like in courtroom dramas, when an actor is nominated, the scene usually is them on the stand. So I can totally see this happening where he says, I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. It's just such a Sorkin line, but the Academy Mm -hmm. probably will eat it up. So I think they'll go with this. Yeah, and the way that that line ends the scene, he doesn't leave the stand. It just kind of makes you wonder like how this continued in real life. But I totally agree. I think this is his scene. There's one previously where he's speaking with Tom Hayden and they're kind of fighting, but I think this one stands out a lot more. Mm-hmm. So moving on to Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. He won the Golden Globe. He's won the SAG, the Critics' Choice Award, and he just recently won the BAFTA. So he, I think out of anybody else this entire season besides Chloe Zhao, has had the biggest streak in winning awards, which is great because he was nominated a few years ago for Get Out, a very deserving nomination. And being his second nomination, he's going to win, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. I love Daniel Kaluuya. I think that this performance, it's just excellent. I think if, if we think about Daniel Kaluuya as an actor, he is able to portray these charismatic leaders like Fred Hampton, but then also I think instill this kind of fear in the audience, like in Widows. I think he's just a great actor, and I'm very happy that he's getting recognized and will win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think he's such a versatile actor, and has been in so many different roles. I totally forgot reading through articles that he was in Skins, which is one of my favorite British shows. So he's been around for quite a while. And I think what he does here is so powerful. He is totally immersed in his role and in embodying Fred Hampton. So I think we can start having our category fraud conversation now. But do you think Daniel Kaluuya is in the right category? To me, this is entirely a leading performance, and I can understand that the film's name starts with Judas, who is portrayed by Lakeith, and we'll get to him very soon. But between the two, I think they could even both be presented as leads. I think that this is a co-lead situation that we're in, but also one where I'm just tempted to say the Oscars are like made up. Right? Like a lot of these, it's just where the studio decides to put you and mm-hmm. where they're running their campaign. And even though supporting actor might not be the right place, depending on the parameters that you're using to discuss his role. But I have to say, I think I'm just very happy that Daniel Kluya is winning an Oscar, that I'm glad he's in this mm-hmm. category <laughs> and not in lead. So Daniel's overall time in the film is 46 minutes, which comes out to just under 37% and only slightly shorter than Lakeith's running time in the film. I will just echo what you said. I'm happy that he'll be winning and that he got in period because I know best actor was a pretty stacked category to begin with. Mm -hmm. So what would you pick for Daniel's Oscar scene? So for Daniel's scene, I would pick the speech scene the i am a revolutionary speech we also Mm. see that in the trailer it's an incredible piece of acting and you have these close-ups of his face and you can just see the power and the leadership of this character but also the pain 
in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's the scene that I think of when I think of this character and this performance. Yeah, I would also pick this scene again. It's the moment you think of when you think back to the movie. And we've discussed the trailer and how powerful that was to begin with. And it gives me chills every single time I watch it, no matter how many times I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally feel that. So our next nominee is Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Leslie Odom Jr. plays a real person, Sam Cooke, also known as the King of Soul, in this film. And he's another person who has hit all of the precursors. So he's been nominated for Golden Globe, SAG, Critics' Choice, BAFTA. And he got two Oscar nominations this year. So these were both his first nominations, but he was also nominated for best original song he has also won a tony and a grammy for his work in hamilton so similar to trial of the chicago seven i think talking and thinking about leslie's performance in one night in miami why do you think leslie was the one who was singled out as the lone acting nominee for this movie when there was an ensemble cast Well, it was shocking that initially Leslie had denied the role in the film. He had previously done the same to the theater version, but then he gave it a second look and felt that he really could embody Sam Cooke. Compared to the other actors, though, I feel like he, besides Kingley Benadire playing Malcolm X, is the largest presence. And I think the others are fairly new to the scene and maybe that's partly why but I think what he brings in musical talent as well helped him gain attention and critical love what do you think about this so I think if we're thinking strictly campaign wise from the studio it is smart to campaign someone like Leslie Odom Jr. who is really well liked in the industry who is pretty well known and additionally has an incredible singing voice that It's very easy to connect with him when you're watching this film. And I think that Leslie's performance is different to me than a typical biopic performance. I think that that's partially because of the way that Regina King directed the film, but also a testament to him as an actor, because I think not only is he able to sing Sam Cooke's songs, but you can really see in his conversations, specifically, I think, with Malcolm X, the, I think, guilt that he has and the anger that he has and the insecurity that he has, like all of those things, you can really see them in his eyes and you can hear them in the way that he delivers his lines. And that, to me, I think, was what made Leslie's performance stand out. And I think, too, it's like, we're picking one performance from a group of really strong performances. I liked the entire mm-hmm. ensemble in One Night in Miami, but I think it does make sense that this one was the one that was selected in this category. Although I will say I would have loved for Kingsley Benadire to also get more recognition this season. Yeah, and he's been nominated in a few different ways this season too. At the BAFTAs, he is nominated for the Rising Star Award. And then at Gotham, he actually won the Breakthrough Actor Award. And critically, he's won a few of these Breakthrough Performance Awards as well. So he definitely wasn't forgotten. And I think from here, he'll be able to grow and really solidify bigger supporting or leading performances. So I am excited to see where he goes from here. Yeah, me too. So what would you pick for Leslie's Oscar scene? 
in the final moments of the film, he performs the song A Change Is Gonna Come on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And this is another moment that is really stirring emotionally. And he's crying during this performance and he's capturing the mood and all of these themes that have been discussed throughout the entire film. And I think he does an amazing job here. And I'm pretty sure he'll be performing his song Speak Now during the telecast. So they might not choose a singing clip here, but to me, this is his strongest, most emotional scene. What would you choose? We are in agreement again. (laughs) Um, I would also (laughs) choose this. I was watching a clip from when he was on The View talking about this movie. And originally, I guess he thought that he was going to have to lip sync to Sam Cooke's voice. (laughs) But the fact that he also Mm -hmm. is actually singing here is so impressive. I think our listeners know by now that I give you way more credit if you're in a film and you're actually doing the singing. (laughs) If you're playing a famous singer as opposed to lip syncing, like one of our recent Best Actor winners did. So I think that this is just, it's a very emotional scene, like you said, and I do hope it's the one that they choose. So moving on to Paul Racy, he plays Joe in Sound of Metal, who is a coda, a child of deaf adults, and a recovering alcoholic who lost his hearing during the Vietnam War. And he runs a rural shelter for deaf recovering addicts, which is where Riz, who plays Ruben, and we'll get to him later on, he joins this shelter once he realizes he is becoming deaf. So Paul Racy was a critic's favorite all season. He won a handful of prizes in the supporting actor category, and then he was kind of absent until he was nominated for the Oscar, which was a relief to hear. We had been waiting for the entire award season. And then he was nominated for an Indie Spirit Award and also for a BAFTA, which was exciting because of their strange jury process that they went through this year. They didn't have all of the members from each category voting for the nominees. It was this select jury. And I think we saw a lot of different nominees that we weren't expecting, but we were really happy to see Paul got in here despite the change. Yeah. When I first saw Paul Racy's performance in Sound of Metal, I just immediately fell in love with this performance. I knew that it would be one of my favorites for the whole year, and I really wouldn't let myself predict it and get my hopes up until I saw that BAFTA nomination, because seeing that he was chosen by the jury, that they wanted to highlight his performance, that was really special, and it showed that there, I think, was love for this performance beyond what we saw with the critics and it was a good I think signifier Mm -hmm. for moving forward for the Oscars this performance to me was just so real when I first saw Sound of Metal I believed every moment that Paul was giving and when Paul speaks about getting this role it really resonated with him and when his friends saw it they asked him if he had written the script because of how similarly a person he is to his character And then through his career, the funniest thing that I read about is that he was in a Parks and Rec episode in season two. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. When I read that he was a character actor, because I didn't know anything about him before this award season and before I saw Sound of Metal, but I was looking through his IMDb (laughs) and I saw Parks and Rec, CSI, Scrubs, and one of his first credits (laughs) is an episode of Baywatch. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, so I think I'll be going back to season two, episode 18 of Parks and Rec soon and trying to spot him. 
what would you pick for his Oscar scene? So I would pick the scene where Ruben tells him that he's had the surgery and he's gotten the cochlear implants. That scene where he's quietly and just kind of internally reacting to this is devastating. It's a beautiful scene and moment of acting. And he gives a great monologue in that scene, too. So I would choose that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so would I. He has to put his foot down, but he does it so eloquently and calmly Mm -hmm. that you don't really realize how hard this is hitting him inside until the end when he lets out a few tears. So I think this is really powerful. I love every moment here. I think even when he meets Ruben in the beginning and he asks him about being an addict and sharing his story, I think that was really powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. So our last nominee is Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Lakeith plays Bill O'Neill, who's an FBI informant known for playing a role in the FBI assassination of Fred Hampton. Lakeith here was the 100% like full surprise nomination that we got on Oscar nomination morning. There were literally no precursor nominations that he got. We had no signs that this was coming. In fact, Warner Brothers even campaigned him in lead. He was listed on their FYC website as lead. So I guess, how do you feel about this maybe instance of category fraud or really just this performance in general appearing here? I was happy this happened. But again, this is just blatant category fraud. I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it. And I guess I want to know from the people who had nominated him, like, They knew he was being pushed in lead. So how or why did so many people support his nomination here? Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because the movie title is Judas and the Black Messiah, and both Judas and the Black Messiah are in supporting. Like, who is the lead of this film? No one in the Academy's eyes. Like, Academy members can vote for actors however they want. If someone is campaigning and supporting and they want to put them in lead, like, they can vote for them in lead. Nothing stopping them. Mm -hmm. But in the case where there is a little bit of ambiguity or if people are voting for them in different categories, this means that Lakeith not only got more supporting votes than lead votes, but he got more supporting votes than any of the other people being campaigned in supporting. Yes. Which is just nuts to think about. But also, again, I'm happy he's here. I think he's amazing in that movie the more i think about the movie the more i think about lakeith actually and his performance in the film so i guess i'm just happy to have him be an oscar nominee even just mentioning jared leto who had multiple (laughs) nominations previously him getting in at sag and then someone who hadn't gotten any nominations the entire season beat him to getting one that is also shocking and i don't think we can make sense of it Mm -mm. and two black actors have never been nominated in the same category for the same movie before this is the first time for that and i love that lakeith's response on social media was basically just like hey i'm confused too (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know what happened but let's just celebrate this I do also love his performance, and he had such an intense experience during filming, which I've talked about on a previous podcast. He had frequent panic attacks, and after filming, he got a therapist to talk through everything that he had gone through, embodying this character and reliving basically the experience Mm -hmm. of 
playing Bill O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having to play the Judas part would, I think, just put such an emotional toll on you. So I think mm-hmm. that this performance, I'm I'm really glad that it was nominated. It was something, again, we didn't expect, but that I'm happy it happened. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? When he's approached by some of the Black Panther members who maybe think he is an informant and they force him to hotwire the car. It's an intense scene and he gives a lot of emotional depth. So I think this could be something they show. What would you pick for his scene? There are so many to choose from, but I think I would pick the interrogation scene with Jesse Plemons kind of near the beginning because Mm -hmm. you can really start to see the thoughts that are racing in this character's head. You can think about all of the difficult decisions that he's going to have to make throughout the film. And based on just his performance in that scene, I knew that the journey that we were about to go on in this film was going to be a tough one. And I was just locked in to see what other choices Lakeith was going to make when playing this character. So what would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would be for John Boyega in Red, White, and Blue, one of the small acts films. (laughs) There are actually some really great supporting performances throughout many of these Mm -hmm. films, but I think he does an amazing job, especially with his presence during the Black Lives Matter protests. It was really chilling to see him in this role specifically. What would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would actually be for Brian Dennehy in Driveways. Have you seen Driveways? Mm -mm. It's on Prime right now, so like the Small X series... It might be a little too slow and quiet for you, but I have faith that you could make it through. It's on my list. Okay. Yeah, I just haven't yet. <laughs> uh, but in this movie, Brian plays this elderly man who was a Korean War veteran, and he just befriends this Asian American boy and his mother. And in this film, he is just kind of this like wise, soft-spoken man I don't want to give away what happens, but in the end, he gives this monologue that is just so, so beautiful. And I think it serves as a really great end to what's been a career that has been filled with roles that aren't like this one. And who do you think should win? I think that Paul Racy should win. I think there are plenty of good choices, but when I think about a supporting actor performance... I love really subtle, gentle performances. And I think that Paul Racy here, bringing in his personal experience, how he communicates with Ruben along his journey. I love a character in like a mentor teacher role. And I thought he was perfect. One of my favorite performances of the year. What about you? Yeah, he is almost tied basically, I guess, a close second to me. But I will vote in favor of category fraud and... (laughs) say Daniel Kaluuya should win here. I think it's really well-deserved. I mean, nothing wrong with that pick. Like, they're basically nearly tied in my brain. Both of them are probably my top 10, like, overall of the year. And I think we've touched on this, but who do you think will win? I think it's Daniel's in the bag. Do you agree? I think so, too. I think we're going to get to say Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya very soon, and it'll be such a joy and that's one of our first awards that we get so it's going to be an early Mm -hmm. early moment of joy in our oscar night (laughs) 
So next up, we'll be putting a twist on Nom or Bomb, and we will be playing Category Nom or Fraud. (laughs) I can't wait. So we'll be going through some Oscar nominees and discussing if they were put in the right category or if they were category fraud. All right. So first up, we have Emma Stone in The Favorite. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. This movie has created such a controversy when (laughs) you discuss all of the female actors because a lot of people feel that all three of them are co-leads and... I think we've actually talked about this before briefly. I think I could see this either way, but I guess I would go with category fraud here. And that while Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth is the leading character, maybe Emma Stone's role is really the one who stirs up and causes all the drama that happens. So I would rather have seen her in lead. Yep. This is fraud for me. Emma Stone is the titular favorite Similar to Judas and the Black Messiah, so I will be saying fraud. Next up is Brad Pitt from last year's winning supporting performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not more fraud. (laughs) This is straight up fraud. Number one, so this reminds me of like the origins of lead and supporting the categories. Like leading men were never nominated for supporting actor. It was like relegated kind of to character actors or people like that and... Brad Pitt's a leading man. This is a co-lead movie fraud. What about you? Yeah, I have to say fraud here. He's, I guess, maybe not in it as much as DiCaprio, but definitely more of a central performance. Next up, Rooney Mara in Carol, nominated in Supporting. I think this is a clear co-lead film. Rooney Mara and Cate Blanchett are two beautiful, wonderful genius stars so fraud again (laughs) we're in the same boat i would also say fraud i think that because rooney is younger in the film and she's playing Mm -hmm. the less dominant lead that kate is obviously what people think of when they think of lead and it's easy to put rooney in supporting but definitely a co-lead situation and watch carol everybody (laughs) and then al pacino in the irishman who was nominated in supporting I'm going to say Nom here. I think this is correct category placement. He has a big presence, but I would say it's right. I think De Niro's the lead. I think you have much stronger feelings than I do about the Irishman, but I will also (laughs) say Nom here. Definitely true. (laughs) And next we have Mahershala Ali in Green Book. He won in supporting. So the way this movie should have been made... (laughs) I think Mahershala should have been in lead, but the way the Fairley brothers made this film, he is a supporting actor. So I guess Nam in this case. So I'm controversially also going to say Nam. I know that people think of this as big category fraud, but they were very clear about not caring about his version of the story as much as Vigo's. So I'm going to say Nam. Next is Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. She was nominated in supporting. This is fraud, (laughs) straight up fraud. (laughs) But she also, we talked about it in our pod with Kevin Jacobson for the 2010 Oscars and just how Mm -hmm. there wasn't room for her in lead. So like it made sense, but this is fraud. This is a clear lead performance. So the rest of the 
supporting actresses nominated in this year were in at most 22% of their film and Haley Steinfeld was in 54% of True Grit. So I think this is an easy answer, fraud entirely. <laughs> Next we have Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls who won in supporting. I'm going to go fraud here. It's a Jennifer Hudson movie. This is fraud to me. Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. She was nominated in lead. I'm going to say nom. Meryl's always a lead to me. And (laughs) this role is just, I mean, her line reading in this is just phenomenal. It's on another level altogether. When she says, Mm -hmm. why is no one ready? That like plays in my head all the time. I love it so much. So nom. Yeah, I agree. She is the titular role. (laughs) She is the devil here. (laughs) The titular devil. (laughs) And yes, maybe this is Anne Hathaway's story and perspective, but there is no way this movie is happening without Meryl. Agreed. Next, we have Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs, who won in lead. I'm going to say fraud here. I know we have an in-depth conversation about this on our 30th anniversary discussion of the Big Five winner, The Sounds of the Lambs, but he was in 21% of the movie, and despite his resounding presence, this is fraud. Do you agree? I'm not going to measure it by screen time. I'm going to measure it by vibe and say nom. It's Hannibal Lecter. I feel like he has to be lead, even though he's not in much of the movie. Louise Fletcher in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who won in lead. Also a big five film. This is fraud. I think it's interesting that the past three have been villains who were all in lead and had minimal screen time. For her, though, I am going to say this is fraud. I do see her performance as more of a supporting one because I think Jack Nicholson is such a clear lead and I don't necessarily see it as a co-lead film, even though she has a very strong presence. What about you? Mm -hmm. So like Anthony Hopkins, Louise has the second shortest runtime of all of the winners in their category. So she was only in this for 22 minutes. So I agree with what you've said, and I think this is a perfect supporting performance because she is there only to antagonize Jack Nicholson's character. Next, we have Al Pacino in The Godfather, who was nominated in supporting. This is fraud to me. I can't believe this happened. This is crazy. Like, (laughs) It's obvious that Brando is a lead, but I think that Pacino is also a lead. I mean, it's about Michael Corleone becoming the godfather i don't think you can spoil the godfather anymore so i'm good saying that (laughs) so i'll also say fraud i mean you have a trilogy centered around this character how is he a supporting actor (laughs) okay so i'm going to use that same logic with you on anthony hopkins (laughs) in silence of the lambs (laughs) his character is big but it's really jodie foster's story where we need to move on Last but not least, we have Janet Lee in Psycho, who is nominated in supporting. I'm going to say nom. I think this makes sense with the bait and switch that Hitchcock lays out. What about you? I agree. I'm going to nom here as well. She does have a leading performance in the first half of the movie, but I think that's part of the fun is that they do switch and someone else takes over. I don't know if, I mean, watch Psycho. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. So next up is Best Supporting Actress. The nominees are Maria Bakalova from Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman in The Father, 
Amanda Seyfried in Mank, and Yunya Jung in Minati. I love this collection of nominees. And this race so far this year has been so exciting. We've had different winners. Mm-hmm. I think we have such a wide variety of newcomers, of old favorites. This has been a very exciting category all year. And I love how up in the air it's been. And that is always, I think, what you want going into Oscar night. Mm-hmm. It's been such a toss-up, and as we've said before on other pods, the actress or supporting actress categories are usually the most exciting and varied and beloved. So mm-hmm. I think with the season starting out, we had Maria Bakalova in the lead, and I thought maybe she would sweep, but then from there on, it just got more and more muddled. So I think there's a good variety of performances here, and maybe that's contributed to how unsure we are of the winners at every ceremony. So with Maria, she plays Tutar, Borat's 15-year-old daughter. This is her first Oscar nomination, and she hasn't been in a ton of other films, according to IMDb. So I think this is a huge start for her. Mm -hmm. She's been nominated for a Golden Globe, a BAFTA, SAG. She won Critics' Choice and many, many other Critics' Prizes this season. I guess it may be obvious discussing Borat, but why do you think people were so resistant to Maria's performance? I don't know. I mean, at first I was resistant to it because of Borat. And honestly, it was unfair of me to think that way because I hadn't seen the movie yet when I was speaking this way. And then the more I started thinking about it, I really love this performance, actually. And I think that people are resistant to it because, one, they don't like change. And it's hard for people, I think, to accept performances that are very different from what we usually get in this category. In the supporting actress category, I mean, throughout history, like even since the beginning, this category has basically been reserved for women in supporting roles taking care of our lead characters, whether that's being a mom or being a supporting wife. Like that is typically what this category is. And it makes me kind of sad, though, that there are people who would readily accept this type of performance from a man, but are really hesitant to celebrate it with a young woman who is an unknown. And I think that that's also definitely part of it, some of the sexism in the industry. What do you think? I think what Borat's subsequent movie film is, to me, it's like a jackass movie. These people putting on costumes and doing these insane acts. And I definitely agree there is some sexism in there because of certain things that Maria does throughout the film. Mm -hmm. The scene of her dancing and having her period is just something you don't ever see in an Oscar nominee. Right. (laughs) There are things like that that happen. And then also the whole Rudy Giuliani scandal Mm -hmm. that came about. This has just never been done before in a widely talked about, critically mentioned film. And I think to some people, it's shocking that this made it in, that this has gotten the attention Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, this is Borat. It's just this satire and they're having fun. But I think the fact that it did get attention is not only hilarious, but like you said, I think bringing about some change to the industry and in awarding younger actors and younger workers in film. And she also holds her own against Sasha Baron Cohen. Like to be an unknown Mm -hmm. and to do that, especially in a comedic role that is virtually all improv with real people. (laughs) 
Like I watched this interview with her through GQ and she was talking about how it was really fun to make this film, but it was also pretty dangerous to make this film. Like she kind of offhandedly Mm -hmm. when she's talking about her scene with Rudy Giuliani, she was like, yeah, I was really scared. Like I felt comfortable because we had security, but also like, could I get COVID? And you're just like, wait, wait, what, what is going on? Oh my God. Um, Whoa. So when you hear things like that, I think it's easy to view comedic performances as less than if you're thinking through Oscar history because mostly dramas are recognized. But this performance is pretty brilliant, honestly. Some of the things that they do, it's just like, how Mm -hmm. did you come up with this? I don't know. I'm a fan of her. It will be very interesting to see what she does next. Yeah. She can really go anywhere, and (laughs) that is exciting. (laughs) Yeah, so next she's going to be in a horror thriller called Bodies, 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 which we'll definitely see. (laughs) I think that's something we also, like, don't talk about that often, but a big part of Oscar season and why it's important, I think, is that a lot of these people who've been nominated, whether it's in acting categories or below-the-line categories, they're getting amazing next jobs because they were recognized by the Academy. So I think that's important to remember Mm -hmm. to think about. So what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I would pick the Rudy Giuliani scene. I think just hearing the backstory of it and what went into that and the research that she put into it of learning who Rudy Giuliani was, so what topics she would talk about with him and then how to react and respond in the moment and just getting that is huge. Mm -hmm. And it was like the scandal of the year with this movie. (laughs) What would you pick? This might be too raunchy for them to show, but when she's eating the cupcake, I think that is a really hilarious moment. She, like, eats this plastic baby on top of the cupcake, and her face is covered with icing. It's just so out there. I think the Rudy Giuliani scene would be much more polished. I agree, though. Like, to understand her comedy, the cupcake scene is a really good choice. (laughs) So next up, we have Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. She plays J.D. Vance's grandmother, a.k.a. Mama. This is her eighth Oscar nomination. She's been nominated before for The World According to Garp, The Big Chill, The Natural, Fatal Attraction, Dangerous Liaisons, Albert Knobs, and most recently, The Wife. I think we do need to just take a second, though, because this is an incredible feat to be nominated for eight Oscars. The only people ahead of her Mm -hmm. are Meryl, Katherine Hepburn, and Betty Davis. Wow. Which is insane. And then she's tied, of course, with Geraldine Page, who did end up winning her Oscar on her eighth nomination. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like we've said, I think if it did happen, I wouldn't necessarily be super shocked just since all of the awards had been going to somebody different. But Glenn's name really does align with Meryl or Katherine Hepburn, Betty Davis. So it's somewhat disappointing, you know, that she hasn't won yet. But I think it will happen at some point. We need the Sunset Boulevard movie to come out with Glenn. (laughs) I want that to be her Oscar win. So this season, Glenn was nominated for Globe, Critics' Choice, and SAG. She did miss the BAFTAs. I think typically when it's the overdue narrative, they win everything. So like Gary Mm -hmm. Oldman for Darkest Hour. It's like, okay, we need to give Gary Oldman an Oscar. So he just won everything that year. So I think if this was going to happen, Glenn would have been sweeping. Am I okay with the Oscar coming later for Sunset Boulevard, if when that happens, absolutely. 
There was a USA Today interview where they asked Glenn, are you excited to be back in the Oscar discussion? And she responded, I've gone without an Oscar for 40 years. I don't know how to answer that question. I was thrown by reading something that somebody wrote about how if I got it, it would be a consolation prize, which really kind of ticked me off. It was ignorant, and I found it insulting, actually, about the craft of acting. I love her. This is an amazing response, and I think it speaks to maybe why she took this role, her and Amy acting together in this very unexpected film. I think, too, one of the things, it's like, I think on Twitter and places, people like the story of Glenn being this woman who just desperately wants this award, and that's just not what's happening at all. Glenn is just a really mm-hmm. committed actress who is willing to take a wide range of projects. Like, she's been in 101 Dalmatians, Fatal Attraction, Hillbilly Elegy, The Wife, like, the woman just, she has range, and she's going to keep going, and Mm -hmm. she's also genuinely so happy for all of the winners. We've seen this all season. They show her on her Zoom screen with her fabulous lighting, (laughs) just beaming for these other winners, and... I love Glenn. I think she's just a very, very talented actress and a really gracious, classy person. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel just generally about good performances in bad movies winning? This has happened for a long time. Mm -hmm. This isn't new. I think a lot of the time you want all of these stars to align and for these perfect movies with these perfect roles and stories and technical aspects to really be appreciated. But I think even small parts like this can still be a part of that conversation. You know, it's hard to get through movies like these, (laughs) but you can still find little shining stars like Glenn. So what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I think the scene where she reprimands JD in the car towards the end and she says to him, you got to decide, do you want to be somebody or not? And the fact that this movie is basically an ode to her really shows maybe why she was inspired to this role. What would you pick? I think I would pick the scene where Mama slash Glenn tells Amy's character that she wants JD to live with her. They have this confrontation and you can just see the emotion that Glenn brings to the role and the care that she has for JD and how challenging that must have been for her to have that type of conversation with her daughter because she cared for her grandson that much. Next up is Olivia Coleman, who plays Anne in The Father, a woman who is learning how to cope and care for her father, Anthony, who has dementia. This is Olivia's second Oscar nomination. She won in 2018 for The Favorite. She, so far this season, has been nominated for a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, and SAG. But she did miss the juried BAFTA, which is shocking. I think Olivia not getting nominated for BAFTA was really surprising. They love her. I think... She's been this staple of British film and television for so long. I think her performance here, it hit me so hard when I watched it. I think just personally, she reminded me a lot of my mom um, when my grandma had dementia and just seeing she's so restrained in the performance. I think she's trying to reassure everyone and to take care of everyone around her, but you can just see her breaking inside. And that has to be so challenging for an actor. So I love her performance here. I really love The Father. And I think a big part of that is because of the acting performances. What I would think to be challenging is bringing this performance that is 
basically done by two different characters. And I think Olivia does a great job. I think I want to get into this a little bit more when I talk about my Oscar scene. So what would you pick for Olivia's Oscar scene? For Olivia's Oscar scene, I would pick the scene when Laura, the caretaker, arrives. This is where I think she perfectly displays what I was talking about earlier, where she has another person coming into her home. I think she desperately needs help. And she's trying to communicate that, but also she's trying to understand what her father is going through. I would also choose this one. And I think it's because you can see in her eyes when Anthony is acting that she's worried that something is going to come and it does. And when she breaks down, she is just so conflicted with what she has to go through in her taking care of him. And then afterwards, she's in the kitchen and she drops the coffee mug. And I think it's just incredible watching Olivia work while it's so fluid you can see her mind kind of working but she still delivers that Olivia charm that we get in every performance that she has Mm -hmm. from Fleabag to The Favorite and I love that little quirk that she has she's real kind of reminds me of Frances McDormand too Mm -hmm. it's like we see them but they play the character so well they put some of themselves in that character and that's why I love everything that Olivia is in. So next up we have Amanda Seyfried for Mank. She plays Marion Davies. Definitely listen to the podcast You Must Remember This or our podcast on Mank. We talk a lot about Marion Davies (laughs) on that but this is Amanda's first Oscar nomination. She was nominated for a Golden Globe and also a Critics' Choice Award. She did miss SAG and BAFTA which Maybe I think I was worried that she wouldn't show up here, but I'm very, very happy that she's Mm -hmm. here. I love this performance so much. Yeah, she's such a strong actress. And while it's maybe not emotionally vast, I think what she brings is a lot of the charm of what Marion Davies was as an actress herself. And that was a lot of Amanda's struggle and playing this perfectly was getting her mannerisms and her voice. What would you pick for her Oscar scene? So I would pick the scene where she goes to visit Mank in Victorville near the end. So after she's already read the Citizen Kane screenplay. I love this scene because I think it includes all of the best parts of Amanda's performance. She has the charm. She's very funny. I think she brought that to her performance and wanted to show how funny Marion Davies was in real life. But also her eyes are very expressive. And in this conversation that she's having with Mank, you can see maybe she doesn't feel as positively about her life with William Randolph Hearst. So I love this scene. I think it shows all of her talents as an actress. What would your scene be? I think it would pick when we first meet her on the stake when they're filming at San Simeon. I think it's just such a wonderful introduction and also a great metaphor of who she was and who she was seen as. Mm -hmm. I love how she interacts with Gary Oldman in all of their scenes together, and they have so many. I think another great moment would be on her late night walk around Hearst Castle. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I love when she skips through the water Mm -hmm. and falls into... Mink's arms. I, it's so beautiful. <laughs> for whatever reason. And then lastly, we have Yunya Jung, who plays Sunja, David and Anne's grandmother, who moves from Korea to Arkansas to live with the Yi family. This is her first Oscar nomination. She was nominated for a Critics' Choice Award, won SAG, and she won the BAFTA. I have loved her journey this award season. 
What's so heartwarming, I think, is the fact that she's so honored to be acknowledged by Western cinema because she's been an actress for decades, but is only now being recognized by Hollywood. And I think it's for a wonderful performance. And I know we love this movie and really all of the performances here. We've discussed Minati on a previous episode, so definitely check that out. How else do you feel about Yunya Jung? I love her so much. I really love this performance. When I first saw this film, when she arrived, I felt very comforted by her presence, just knowing that not only was she this sense of stability and this, I think this connection to their Korean culture for the Yi family, she's so funny and she gets so much great dialogue. I also love the screenplay so much, but her performance, it's one of my favorites of the year and it definitely wasn't a given for getting nominated. I think that I was expecting this performance to have a lot of critical acclaim and then maybe never show up with industry awards and... Here we are. So I'm very, very thrilled by her performance and her nomination. What would you pick for her Oscar scene? So I would pick the scene where it's right after David cuts his shin on the drawer and she Mm -hmm. keeps telling him that he's a strong boy. And by the look in his face, you can tell that he doesn't hear that very often. And It's this very tender moment that I think you think is like associated with his heart condition. But then he asks her what pee tastes like because of the prank he played on her earlier. (laughs) And she starts laughing and calls him a little rascal. And it's just the perfect blend of her tender moments with the family, but also her comedic presence in the film. What would you pick? She just plays this role so authentically and comes across as if she were anybody's grandma. Mm -hmm. I love the scene when she calls David a pretty boy and they're playing cards Mm -hmm. in the living room floor. And he kind of runs away when he says, I'm not pretty. She's watching wrestling too (laughs) and like really into what's happening on the Mm -hmm. TV. So I think it's a fun moment, but also shows her depth as an actress. What would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would actually be Valerie Mahaffey for French Exit. <laughs> this movie is so strange. It's like beyond Very wild. beyond bizarre. Yeah. But I really, in addition to Michelle Pfeiffer's costumes and performance, really loved Valerie Mahaffey in this. I thought she was so funny and just quirky. But there was also mm-hmm. this sadness and this depth. And for me, she actually stole the show. And to do that when your scene partner is Michelle Pfeiffer is tremendous stuff. So if you haven't seen French Exit yet, watch it. It's, I would say, kind of similar to a Woody Allen film, the vibe and the feel to it. But mm-hmm. yeah. it's definitely worth watching. It's different than what I was expecting. Very strange, like I said, but I think enjoyable overall. (laughs) Who would your write-in vote be? I would write in Candace Bergen from Let Them All Talk. (laughs) Another unexpected performance for me. This movie was also bizarre and ends on a very strange note, but I think is really fun to watch. It's pretty dialogue heavy, but I think that allows all of the characters to play with their boundaries. I haven't seen a ton of Candace Bergen movies But I think her other most iconic movie to me would be Miss Congeniality. So to see (laughs) the change from that to this, I love this like adult person. She's upset with Meryl's character and how they've treated each other over the years. 
I love that I don't really know where she's going and what she's going to do next. So if you haven't seen Let Them All Talk, I do recommend Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) It's on HBO Max. So who do you think should win? I think Yoon Jung should win. I think I've reiterated this many, many times. Who do you think should win? I completely agree. I think there are people in this category I would be happy with pretty much everybody but Mm -hmm. she's the one who stands out to me as someone who's so easy to celebrate i think seeing her win at sag was just such an exciting moment and one that everyone was just thrilled by Mm -hmm. and then who do you think will win so i think yunya jung will win i think after seeing her win at sag that was what i needed to predict her and i can't see someone seeing that performance and not wanting to vote for her it just makes Mm -hmm. sense What do you think? I think at this point in the awards conversation, I think Maria might be in second, but I do think also Yoon Yoo Jung will win. And I think she has a lot of momentum through these final few weeks. And I really do hope she does win. My heart will be so happy if she does. Yeah, this is one that I will really cheer for. I think like beginning of the season, I was definitely rooting for Amanda, but it feels like Yoon Yoo Jung's narrative has really solidified. So I will be very excited if Mm -hmm. she gets her Oscar. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be talking about more acting. We'll be going through our lead actor categories. So best actor and best actress, which has turned into the most exciting category of the year. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and wear your masks.